Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Hello, hello, everyone. It is Free Coaching Thursday. Today, we're going to talk about growing your membership. We're going to talk about launching for the second time. How do you know if you've used up your organic audience or not? We're going to talk about boundaries with free content and so much more. If you are new here or this is your first time checking out Free Coaching Thursday, here is how it works. On Wednesdays over on my Instagram at Sarah M. Chapel, we post a little question box in my stories that says, what do you need help with? And then on Thursdays, I come here to Instagram live around 1 p.m. or so Eastern time to answer all of your questions. We also put this up on the podcast. So you want to be a witch the following Tuesday. So if you're listening over on the podcast, the way to participate is to come on over to Instagram and dive in. So let's get into your questions today. Okay, our first question today is, how will I know if I reached all the people I can organically and avoid slow second launch? There is a very slim chance that you reached all the people you can organically in your first launch of something. Um, often what happens is that if our first launch, okay, let me back up a second, okay? So just because people didn't buy the first time they saw an offer doesn't mean they aren't going to buy. That is one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make is thinking that if somebody's seen something and said no or not said yes, that is a no forever. Literally not true. There are so many reasons why people don't join at a specific time. It's literally not the right time for them. They don't have the money. They're working on something else at a moment. They're already working with someone. They just bought something. They couldn't find their credit card. Their kids started screaming. <laughs> so many reasons why somebody doesn't buy in a given launch. So often I see this happen a lot when people have a first launch that is pretty solid, that they go into the second one nervous that it's not going to live up because wouldn't everyone who was interested the first time have bought? It's not true. Some of you listening to this probably have been around for a minute before you bought something from me. I know we have folks all the time who join us inside the Holistic Business Academy who have seen multiple launches of that, listen to my podcast for years before ever making an investment with me. So just keep that in mind that just because somebody saw an offer doesn't mean it's a no forever. There's so many reasons why people might not have bought. This can also be helpful for you just to like look at your own buying experiences. Sometimes we need to put on the customer hat for a minute and think of something that you've been interested in that you didn't buy the first time you saw it, right? Whether it was a course, a program, a book. Um, I know for me, I have a list of books a mile long. The fact that I haven't bought a certain one doesn't mean I don't want to read it. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, clothes, whatever, right? All sorts of stuff that we just don't invest in the first time we see it for so many valid reasons. So the chance that you have reached all the people you can organically is essentially zero. I don't buy it. Especially I know the person who submitted this question, you have a pretty big audience, you have a mailing list, you have people to talk to. Sometimes we do see this issue come up when folks have very small audiences. It's hard for me to say numbers, it depends on it, but if you're brand new or um, have a pretty small audience, those audiences are fantastic. They often convert very highly, but at some point, yes, you will max out. But if you have more than a few hundred people paying attention to your work, chances are this is not going to be your problem. So the slow second launch, this is actually a really common issue, the second launch dip, but the reason is usually not because of reach. The reason is usually because of communication. So in our first launch, we get the most excited people, the people who love our work the most, people who've worked with us before, the people who are 
number one fans, right? And often this masks communication issues in our marketing and in our launch. And those issues often don't emerge until the second launch when the people who were more on the fence people or are new to our work or have never invested with us before are now considering it because they've seen it a second time. Again, really common for people need to see an offer more than once. We just gotta get used to that. Please don't, the fact that they said no once doesn't mean it's a no forever um, at all, okay? Or they just didn't say anything the first time. So that's usually the issue with the second launch is that people did not do a proper launch the first time, but still got good results because they were scooping up their number one fans. Your second launch, you'll still have some number one fans who just didn't buy for some reason, but you're now getting into the parts of your audience that are a little bit less warm, a little bit less kind of part of your community or part of your business. Probably people who haven't invested with you before or people who are yeah, on the fence for some reason. So the second launch issue is again, is usually not reach. It is usually communication. Now, the best thing you can do to do this is to actually take the time to review your launch strategy before your second launch. Um, to make sure that your messaging is really clear, to try to do some kind of polling or talking to people in advance, maybe even hop on a few calls. Make sure that you're really addressing the questions that people have and communicating the result or outcome of your membership really properly. Um, we have another question in a minute about using testimonials in a launch for somebody who's doing their second launch, so I would check that out as well. Those of you that are in the Holistic Business Academy, it is going to be so critical that you go back into your marketing communication messaging and make sure that you have revised that now that you've done a launch and are going to relaunch. So you have people who have gone through the experience, you've seen the results they've gotten, you've also seen the questions that have come up about it, maybe the questions from people who didn't buy and wanted to get on the wait list or something like that. So take the time to revise the messaging and then be ready during your second launch if you need to, to be a little bit more proactive. Sometimes that's necessary to do maybe a few more lives, to do a little bit more of a Q&A and to not just go by rote, but be ready to be responsive because you're probably going to have new questions new objections and new concerns that emerge in your second launch of something. So that's really the, the downfall of a slow second launch is usually a communications issue because our first launch went usually, not always, but often goes comparatively easy if we have an existing audience because those people are so excited about something new from us. And that masks communication issues that come up with the second. So my guess is that no, again, unless your audience is, is quite small and I don't really mean like you guys know, I don't think you need a big audience to have a successful business, but if you're only talking to a couple hundred people at some point, yes, you probably will have scooped up all the people who are the right fit for that offer. But if you have a bigger audience, you have, you know, I don't know, a thousand or more people that you're talking to, you've got a mailing list, chances are you have not reached all the people organically who are interested in your offer. Um, and if that's a real concern, you can always do some ads, no problem. But I would say, Probably not the issue with the second launches that I usually see, it's unless again, you have a very small audience. So I hope that's helpful. Good luck with your second launch. All right, let's keep going. Doot, doot, doot. Let's go ahead and answer this testimonial question. So best use of testimonials for second launch of a six week online course. Um, first of all, I'll say those of you in the Holistic Business Academy, make sure you check out our testimonial lesson. It is in Phase three validate, I think, but you guys know that's why I write things down. Go find it. Marisa can point you in the right direction over in the Facebook group. Um, because we talk about testimonials, the difference between testimonials, case studies, reviews, and how to best use them. So HBA or make sure you head on over there. The best use of testimonials is to help to mitigate risk uh, for buyers by showing that other people have purchased your thing and gotten results and like you enough to say that they liked it. And also to show people what is possible. 
So we do a lot of fun things with testimonials. Definitely have them on your sales page. If you're using social media, post them on social media, whether that's in your stories, whether those are static posts, like don't be afraid to use them. I also love doing Instagram lives for case studies. We've done that for the past year. And I really think it makes a difference in our conversion rates because we get to talk to people. There's an actual conversation. And I think that simply because someone is taking the time out of their day to show up live and have a conversation with you and talk about your offer, that further mitigates risk, right? Getting somebody to like write two sentences saying that you're awesome and give you a picture is not as high value as them coming on and actually like shooting a video with you. So you can do those live, you can do those in Zoom. I definitely have had students who have done like Zoom Q and A's where alums from the program come and answer questions. I think that's super cool if that makes sense with your offer or they can pre-record something with you. It doesn't have to be live on Instagram, whatever platforms you're using. But I think that's really a great way to do it. If you can do some kind of video that is interactive or live and basically shows people taking that extra step to um, offer that level of feedback on the program, that is really helpful. But we like to see testimonials used basically in the kind of week or two leading up to your launch and then during the launch itself. If you're doing something like a webinar or a free training or a challenge or something, you can start sprinkling that in while you're inviting people to the training. But really like when cart is open, when your registration is open, that's the time to hammer them home. And I think testimonials ultimately are really powerful because what they do, again, they mitigate risk, but they help people to see the kinds of results that are likely possible. Yeah, it's just, I think it helps people make smarter buying decisions. So it makes you look good, but it also is helping your customers because if they look at all your testimonials and none of them answer the question that they have, then they might know it's not the right fit for them. So I would definitely give it a go. I hope that is helpful. Let's keep going. Okay, how do you balance creating free content without exhaustion slash feeling bitter? What a great question. Um, so chances are, if you're asking this, my guess is you're doing too much free content <laughs> and it's not getting you the results that you want. Free content is not a conversion machine. It doesn't magically make you make money. And often what I see business owners doing is just creating a lot of free shit, expecting that to make them money, but there's only a handful of kinds of content that actually convert. So the most best way to balance creating free content without exhaustion or feeling bitter is to create free content that converts, right? Make sure it's making you money. And that's not just about churning out free stuff. Those of you that are in the Holistic Business Academy, again, this is everything that is in the framework, all of those communication skills that we talk about with your attraction marketing. Those are the kinds of content that convert. It's not everything, right? A lot of times we make content that's too educational, that doesn't convert because people have the, they, they get what they need or they think they have what they need. You know, you can never distill your program into one Instagram post, but often it makes people feel like they have their answers. They stop kind of looking for more or we create content that is like, you know, just like pretty or kind of lifestyle-y that doesn't actually answer any questions for people. So the way to balance it is just to make sure that your content is actually driven towards conversion. So I think the first, the big question I'm going to leave you with is why are you making this piece of content? If your only answer is because I'm supposed to make free content, then don't fucking do it. It needs to be tied to your offer and what people need to know, understand, believe in order to invest in it. They need to understand that you're a person who can help them. What do you need to do to do that to show them that you actually know what the fuck you're talking about? They need to understand the problem and possibility that you help people with. They need to be inspired. That's where those testimonials really come in. And often there are some educational pieces, whether it's around beliefs and mindset challenges, assumptions that people have about your offer and about the work and about the possibility of it. 
And sometimes it's pre-information that people need. Do they need to understand your modality? Do they need to understand um, something about your skill? Do they need to understand the language that you're using in your offer page? You know, those are the kinds of things that lead to sales. So ultimately, if you're just creating free content to create free content, you are now a free content creator. Welcome. You have a hobby. And that that's fine. There are plenty of people who enjoy that, right? But that is not what we're talking about here. Um, so I guess that's the big question when you're making something, why am I making this? It needs to be tied to an offer. It needs to be on purpose. Content on purpose helps to reduce that exhaustion and bitter feeling because it's leading directly to sales. And if it's not leading to sales, then it's not working. So yeah, you're not a content creator. Some of you might be content creators, in which case, cool, create your content. But this, uh, this question <laughs> is, um, is really related to that. I will say also, if you're feeling exhausted and feeling bitter, you're probably just doing too damn much. You know, unless we're heading into a, like, I understand everyone's life is different. And I understand that sometimes I think folks are like, oh, Sarah, it's easy for you to say because you're established. Da, 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 da. Um, you know, really like you don't need to post on Instagram every day. You don't need to make content every day. If you're heading into a launch cycle, that's when I would ramp it up. But in between launch cycles, we do something what twice a week. I think we try, I, I keep it low key as much as I might like to be somebody who has like a fancy content calendar and all that shit. Every time I try it, it doesn't happen. Someday I will hire someone who will do that for me. But until then, uh, unless we're in a launch, I do what is emergent. I do what is interesting to me. I do what responds to questions people have. And that can be something too. And we're feeling kind of bitter. Sometimes we're like, we're not having a conversation with our audience. We're kind of trying, we're like spending a lot of mental energy to invent things to talk about. It should be easy to create the free content that leads to your offer because it should come right from the questions and challenges and objections that you're getting. Your customers are telling you what to make. <laughs> they are giving you the information about what they need to hear from you. So you're probably doing too much. Do less. <laughs> Do less. You're not a content creator. That's not how you get paid. Make sure it's tied to your offer. And then often for me, what's helpful personally, people are different. Some of you are huge pre-planners. Every time I hear somebody in HBA be like, I scheduled a month's worth of content in advance. I'm like, you guys are brilliant. I can, I, I cannot do it. It does not happen for me. If you can do that again, fuck yeah. Right. This is a know thyself. But, um, my guess is based on this question, balancing free content with exhaustion is you're probably not doing that. If you can batch do it. But sometimes for me, it's really helpful when it's emergent, right? When it's responsive, um, that helps the content feel less exhausting. Like what I'm doing right now, you guys gave me the topics. You told me what you needed and I am here. <laughs> I think one last piece on this, I just said before, but I'll say it again. A lot of times when we have that exhaustion and feeling bitter with content, we're not making stuff in a way, we're not making what we most enjoy. We are trying to kind of contort ourselves into something, right? So for example, I mean, I'm not the only person to say this, but I've been making this joke for a while. You know, you don't need to like do like a fucking TikTok dance to have a successful business. But some of you love making TikToks. Some of you really like it. Awesome. Then that is the platform for you, right? If you enjoy that, that's great. I like talking, teaching, and writing. So you'll see that most of my content falls into that category. And I have no problem presenting live. So I do live videos. Figure out what feels the most aligned, easy for you in terms of the actual content format. And often that will relieve some of that extra anxiety or stress. Good luck. You got this. Framework for moving from idea to something teachable. Um, all right. So if you're working on creating something teachable, I think the first thing is your, your idea is disrupt capitalism with community. Duh. <laughs> okay. I think the first thing before we even move from idea to teachable is making sure that this is something that people want. 
right? What is the result of this? What are you, they going to walk away from? How are they going to apply this? In order to know what you're teaching, often we need to know the end result that we're trying to get people to and to reverse engineer that, figure out what they need to know to get that result. So it sounds like you have a cool idea. Clarify, polish it. What is someone going to walk away from your class, your program, your training with? And then what specifically do they need to know to experience, create in order to get that result? Um, People tend to do this in two different ways or a couple different ways. So ultimately, framework for moving from idea to doing something teachable is clarifying the result. Now, keep in mind, this is a little circular. As you map out your program, your result might shift. That's not abnormal, but you got to start somewhere. Clarify the result, the outcome that you're trying to teach. And then you can do a couple of different things. I tend to do an outline. Um, I do a lot of the messy thinking inside my head and then spill it out kind of in a pretty linear form by that point. Some of you are going to need to do external brainstorming, whether that is kind of like mind mapping, doodling, whatever, <laughs> get it out there, um, blob out all everything you know about the topic. That can be really helpful and then organize it. Um, or you can literally reverse engineer. Sometimes find, people find that really a lot easier to kind of step backwards. But essentially, moving from idea to something teachable is all about clarifying the outcome and the steps required to get there. Um, You can learn some about kind of pedagogy. Um, I think it's also maybe helpful to learn a bit about learning. A lot of the like learning style stuff that has been debunked. So just be mindful where you're getting your information. Um, In terms of like how people learn, Nest Labs and Laura makes really great content. She's, um, I think she's in a PhD program now for neuroscience of education. She has her master's. So um, it's called Nest, N-E-S-S Labs. Great blog. She writes a lot about how people learn. So you can start there. There's also a course which I have signed up for, but have not taken, to be honest. Um, That's for free on Coursera called Learning How to Learn. And sometimes like that stuff is important, right? A lot of us who are online educators don't have formal teaching backgrounds. I know some of you do. I have a lot of of teachers um, in our community and folks like academia and ex-academia people. But for those of us who don't have that, being up to date on how people learn can help as well. And once you start to kind of see more about that. This is something I know, but it's outside of my scope for teaching, which is why I'm going to refer you to some other places. That can also help moving from idea to something teachable. I think the kind of key pieces are, again, a lot of the learning style stuff has been debunked. What seems to be most important based on what I understand is having different ways of applying the information so that it's not just consumption. People need to also do stuff. So activities, checkpoints, things like that. And actual like tangible application is really helpful for people. And then thinking about what people really need to thrive in your program. You know, for a lot of folks, that's going to be stuff like having accountability of some kind, some motivation, having community, having some live recorded aspects tend to work really well, having the opportunity to learn with other people, things like that. But essentially, to the best of your ability before figuring it all out, clarify your outcome because your idea is cool. What do people need to walk away from your program with? What are they going to be able to do to apply, know, feel, how are their lives going to change after they've learned this? And then from there, you can reverse engineer, whether that's through brainstorming, outlining, et cetera, et cetera, what they need to know to get there. Um, and I'll say the one last thing here is that often people put way too much shit in their programs. This is a major issue. It's better to start lean and build up. Oh, like the more, like when there's too much stuff, people get overwhelmed, they don't take action. So just something to think about. I hope that is helpful. Yeah, basic framework is clarify where you want people to go. What do you want them to go away with? And then figure out the steps that they need to take to get there. You got this. Uh, And I'll say it gets easier with practice. Sometimes if you're brand new to teaching, 
doing something live uh, with a group of people live is easier because then you can be responsive. If there's holes in your curriculum, questions that people have that you didn't anticipate, then you can respond to them live versus like pre-recording it or writing it in a book or something before you've actually worked with people. Um, also, one-on-one -on -one coaching can be a really great way to test out new frameworks and again, in an environment where you can be responsive. So a lot of times people, I think, create like online courses and programs and want them to be like really codified and like fully formed in their first version. And that's, off, that's often a mistake because there's going to be holes in your curriculum that you don't know about until people have gone through, the, through it. So giving yourself some space um, really helps. I feel like I always overlaid my courses with information. Yeah, it's super common, right? Especially because we're excited and we have all this awesome stuff to share. Um, some of my early courses are like so fucking jam-packed. And you know, now um, I tend to make them a lot more lean because I mean, ultimately it's about reducing friction to some level for your customers, but really thinking like, what do they need to know? And um, one of the questions I kind of ask myself is like, what can people discover? What can they discover for themselves if I give them the right information? And that can be really helpful too. Like that's how a lot of HBA is written, is very emergent in the sense of like, I'm like, here are all these ideas and concepts and tools. Now you go apply them. So I don't tell people do X, Y, Z so much as kind of give them this like, I'm like, here's this like smorgasbord of like tasty things that are all designed to be applied. And then they get to learn those things themselves through the doing. Anyway, your first stuff idea to something teachable. Also, I say just like give yourself some fucking grace. <laughs> your first course will probably be awesome, but it's not going to be the best thing you ever make. And I think the sooner you can wrap your head around that, the better off you will be. But I say do it live or do it with a small group so you can be responsive and you will learn a lot as well. All right. Let us know how it goes. I'm curious. I love when people are making courses. It's so fun. Okay. I am hosting a training program. I want to offer in-house payment plans. Can you advise? You have to make some guesses here because I don't really know what specifically you want me to advise you on when it comes to payment plans. I think when you're by in-house, I'm assuming you mean that you're going to manage them, in which case a few things have a really clear contract that states that they are payment plans. What happens if payments are late? Is there a late fee? Do they lose access? How long will you let them try to make the payment? Um, like kind of think of your boundaries up front. The biggest issue with payment plans Obviously, it's people defaulting. Um, that, that, that is a challenge. Sometimes people don't finish them. So be just mindful of how you want to handle that. If it's something like a training program, for example, probably they won't get to finish the program, right? Or something like that. And the second part of that with people not completing them is the maintenance of them, which is kind of what I think you're asking about. So I'm going to kind of go in that direction, which is that you have to keep track of it. Um, payment plans can be automated through a lot of softwares. So depending on what you're using, you can automate it, but you still have to have a plan in place for if somebody defaults or somebody's card doesn't go through. And that's where payment plans get really challenging. I know there is, and I, I do agree with it, um, a lot of rightful critique of the excess fees that a lot of people put onto payment plans, but it is also a massive pain in the ass to manage on the back end, especially as your business grows. Because um, you have to follow up with people, send emails, add people, remove people. It can be a huge amount of labor on the back end, which is why you do often see people charging more in addition to the risk that you're taking on. When somebody does a payment plan for a program, you're essentially giving them a loan. So some people charge like it is a loan. We don't do that, but I understand why people do. And I understand the arguments for and against it. I understand that it punishes people who don't have money up front. And there's a lot of like really important conversations to be having about that. But from the business owner perspective, you are taking a risk and it requires labor to maintain. 
So I think the most simple things I would think about are just like plan for your worst case scenario in terms of people of in terms like assume that's just from a planning perspective, not from like a, a mindset launch perspective, from a planning perspective, assume that people are not going to finish their payment plans. How are you going to handle it? What are your personal boundaries there? As much as you can put that in your contract, right? You just on baseline, if you don't finish the payment plan, you don't get to finish the program, right? Or whatever it is. So people have an expectation. Sometimes with payment plans, people think that they're memberships. I've actually had people send me an email and be like, hey, I'd like to cancel my subscription. And I'm like, it's not a subscription. You got full access to the program. You have to pay for it. Um, so just being mindful of being really clear, saying like payment plans are not subscriptions. They're not canceled. You can't cancel a payment plan once you've started it. Things like that. So people have a clear expectation too. Just because you're using a language like payment plan doesn't mean they're familiar with it necessarily. So this is really a boundaries thing, but a communication thing. Then on the back end, how do you want to handle it, right? If somebody's credit card fails, are you going to, if you're managing it in-house, are you going to be sending them emails? Like, are you reminding them about the payment plan? I did that for years. I'm going to be honest, it is a huge pain. Um, depending on the number of people you have, it's probably worth having some software that will do the payment plan for you. Most course platforms will let you do payment plans and they will do an automated retry of the card for some period of time. So that can be really helpful or something like Thrivecart. Those will all do them. Um, so if you can make an investment like that, that will help just like with your own management. If you're not, what I used to do is I would just have a Google, I use my Google calendar a lot for things like that. Now I'd probably put it in ClickUp because that's what we use. And I would just have a recurring reminder for when I needed to email people invoices like via PayPal or whatever I was using at the time. So I would just keep track of that. The problem does start to become when people don't pay. So um, I think that's just like one of those cost of doing business things. And I encourage you to think about how you want to handle that on the back end. So how long will you let people go without payment? When do they get removed from the program? How many emails do you want them to send? I think we do three follow-up emails with people on a failed payment. Um, with HBA, it's different because that is a membership. But like in something like my incubator program, one-on-one -on -one coaching, usually what happens is that somebody's credit card number has changed or something like that. So the first email is generally like, hey, this didn't go through. Um, here's how you can update your card, that kind of thing. Um, and then, um, but yeah, so a lot of it's just kind of boundary stuff. Um, I hope that's helpful. It's, it's kind of nuanced. You're going to learn a lot your first time running payment plans. But I think the big piece is like automate what you can. But a lot of those follow-up emails you know, the, there are companies that do that for you, but it's really not worth hiring them until you're losing like $1,000 or more a month. Bea, <laughs> she doesn't like it. Um, and yeah, so that's, I guess, what I can advise about that. And, you know, there's... The reason I'm going to recommend very seriously that you plan this all ahead of time is because in the moment, it can be harder to make these decisions. Shit happens in people's lives. It's tough, right? And you might want to be able to make case-by-case -case decisions. Um, you know, for example, in a program, like one of uh, somebody that I work with, someone shared recently that, you know, somebody was affected by the hurricane, right? So they can't make their payments. Well, like that's legit. That's a real problem. Um, but that's the kind of stuff you want to handle on a case-by-case -case basis. So we want to kind of make the assumption that somebody is just not going to pay. How do you want to handle that? And then give yourself the room to be flexible if you need to. But... Also, um, people need to pay you. That's, that's, that's what they agreed to. So having those boundaries up front clear is really helpful. And just to be like, you know, if you are someone who's considering like having a fee for a payment plan, I think there's good arguments on both sides. I think the big question to ask yourself is, 
is that fee reasonable for your administrative and risk costs or are you using that to just make more money off of people who don't have that cash up front? And there's probably a middle ground between the two. Again, at this point, we don't really do that. Um, I don't think we, I'm trying to think if we have anything like that. But um, but that does also mean that like I eat money on the back end. So, you know, up to you. Risk, risk, ethics, reward. Okay. All right. Uh, my membership numbers are steady but stagnant. I'd like to go from 40 to about 100. How? Cool. Well, congratulations on steady. That's exciting. 40 is awesome. Membership growth is different than a lot of other kinds of programs. And this is the place where I see a lot of the membership information out there, I think, being really unreasonable, <laughs> like not really setting people up for success. Because the reality is with a membership, it is entirely a numbers game at some level. And what that means is that people are always leaving. That's normal. It's called churn. There's a name for it. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, that's the percentage of people that leave your subscription every month. And because of that, that means there's always, there's kind of maintenance mode. So when you're saying that something kind of steady, it sounds like you're probably in maintenance mode. You're getting just enough people every launch or just enough people through an evergreen funnel or something to kind of maintain it. And then there's growth. So we have to focus on two things. Like in between launches, my goal is maintenance, is to not drop below a certain par. And then my launches are when I grow. What I find is kind of the biggest growth issue with memberships is that people don't treat them like full products. Often I think, and I fell into this trap and I see it a lot now that I recognize what I was doing. I think a lot of folks, especially because the price is low, it's hard to prioritize launching it as a full product because you know you could launch a group program or some one-on-one -on -one or something like that and get more cash up front. But memberships are a slow a slow growth strategy. I would say it's like 20 million times. Actually, why I just, I really don't recommend memberships for people who are brand new to business or with, because it's like, it's not going to get you there where you need to be to be sustainable quickly. Once you have an established business, once you have a clientele, it is a fantastic way to smooth out your revenue and help you help more people. I love memberships, but it's not a new, member, memberships are not for, are not for newbies. Um, I love you all, but they're not for newbies for this reason, because you're not going to make bank in launch one. Every time, every once in a while I see it, I've definitely had clients who have, but they're clients who are very established in their fields already. They have existing audiences. So what I mean by people not treating it seriously is like, I love to ask you, like, how many launches have you done? Like full out, complete, full webinar, two weeks of promotion, like all out launches. My guess is it's not a lot. Now, I don't mean that from a point of critique, but I noticed that I had stopped promoting my membership like a product. I would go for two quarters without actually doing a launch. That's a problem. A membership requires in general, I say, okay, I'm saying requires, what I have found to be the most effective is a mix of live launch and evergreen that is a pretty set schedule. We are at a place now where we're doing a live launch basically once a quarter, for the membership and then we are running our back-end funnel in between we the back-end funnel basically just replaces churn it doesn't do a lot of growth we're also not running ads right now um, if you're running ads to it you can definitely grow um, but it tends to cost more money to do it that way at least up front it works totally works good strategy so what i'm kind of getting at is like to get to that number to more than double you're probably looking at one to two 
all out live launches. And I don't mean all out like destroying your boundaries and like doing shit you don't want to do. That's not what I mean. But I mean, treating it really like this is a big deal in your business, like you would a higher end program that you know is going to make you more money. So that's the shift that I'd like to see, because what I see most people doing is starting a membership, launching it once, and then kind of half-assing it from there, frankly. And I, I see that because I did that. I was like, oh, we're fine where we are. We're covering our expenses. This is great. And then at some point I was like, no, that's not the point. This is supposed to be the primary revenue source in your business. You have to fucking sell it. So that's basically how to do that, is that you have to sell it. That is actually like, that's the job. Um, and recognize that you're not going to get that same ROI in month one as you would if you were selling a group coaching program. That's not how it works. Your ROI on a membership builds on the back end over time as you start to stack your revenue from launch after launch and people staying month after month. So that's my biggest tip for membership growth, especially when your numbers are steadier but stagnant. My guess is, again, I don't know what you've been doing specifically, but just from like what I see my guess is that you are not doing enough live launches or big promos of your membership. Um, and those can be different things. For a while, we were doing kind of these, like we would do like little email promos and just kind of like just do our launch emails. That totally boosted folks. We did that a lot the first year. But ultimately, when we have like actually treated the membership launch like I would an incubator launch or something like that, that's when we have seen massive growth. The second way is what I mentioned before, which is essentially to run ads to an evergreen funnel in the back end that works super well, but obviously you need cash up front. Most folks are going to break even in month one or month two on those, right? So you have to have the money up front and be okay essentially floating it to ads for at least a full 30 days, if not longer. So that's a real cash flow issue. Um, but that can do massive boosts. This is what we did last summer. Um, and we more than doubled with an ad spend, which was awesome, but it was super expensive, right? I mean, I made it back, of course, but like I had to float that money. So I hope that's helpful. But I think ultimately that's the big piece I see is that people start memberships and don't promote them. And that doesn't work because of the churn situation and because of the, um, yeah. The last piece I'll say here about memberships, uh, and I don't know about yours, but sometimes when those numbers are kind of stagnant and we're not seeing a big growth. So if you're like, oh no, but Sarah, I am launching every quarter and I'm not seeing the growth. We have a communication issue. A lot of times people start memberships and the outcome of the membership is vague. Why it needs to be a membership, for example, why is this something people should pay for month after month? The offer needs to fit the model, right? What do people, is it something people actually need support or help with month after month or need content for month after month? There has to be a reason for people to stay, not just to keep them in there, right? Maintaining that on the back end is a massive thing, but like, this is what we're working on in my new product. Like, like I never, like I had to teach myself how to keep people in my fucking program, right? Like I, like nothing I have found has like actually told me how to maintain customer base in a membership and have healthy numbers there. So that, that is a part of it. But the, the place where you sell people on the idea of a membership is when they buy. When they buy, they need to understand why is this a sub subscription? Why is this a membership, right? Like for HBA, for example, you have ongoing business issues. <laughs> you don't solve your business in one month and then never need help again. That's not how it works, right? You do new launches, you have new products, you get inspired by something new, you have new customer challenges. Like it makes sense to have ongoing business support in a membership or and just as a quick side note, because I've been thinking a lot about the semantics of this. A lot of high-end group coaching programs are also actually memberships, right? You have to renew if you want to stay in the program. Same fucking thing. 
so whatever, recurring payments make sense when you have an ongoing challenge, right? That's why like fitness models and gyms are often recurring. You're not going to go to the gym for a month, all sorts of things like that, right? Food services, like food prep services, obviously subscription model, right? You don't buy one food box and then you're done. I don't know, I think like HelloFresh and shit like that. So you have to make the case for that up front. Um, so that can be one of the communication issues. And the second communication issue with memberships, often, again, if you are like, no, Sarah, I'm doing those live launches once a quarter and I'm not seeing any budge, chances are the outcome of the membership isn't clear. The big thing that I see people doing with membership offers that's a problem is just being like, here's all this cool stuff, buy it, right? Kind of packaging up all the things you're interested in into a membership and being like, here's this cool thing. And that really kind of comes from the Patreon thing. I know, I know I'm still racking on Patreon, but like this like idea of just being like, oh, here's all of my work bundled for a price. That's not a membership. That's one of the problems with something like a Patreon or a Ko-Fi where you're essentially getting like coffee. Fuck, I keep saying Ko-Fi. Or you're essentially like asking for tips to sustain your work and how that's different than a membership. A membership, a subscription, a coaching program has to have an outcome a goal. There's a transformation there. So often what I see, and I've seen this, a, this all the time with memberships, people are basically just like, here's this cool stuff. That's not enough. There has to be a story, a through thread. Why do these things get the result? What is the result that people want? What are people trying to accomplish? And if we're not communicating that clearly, that can be reflected in low sales numbers and launches. You can definitely, just to be clear, you can definitely scale a membership without live launches. But if you want to know the best way to do it, it's a combo. It's a combo of those both. And the live launches can also be done through like affiliate or partner programs. It can be more low key. You can do backdoor launches with like emails. It doesn't have to be a big, big live launch. But I will say that what I routinely see for myself and now for my clients is that it's worth it to treat your membership like it matters in terms of your sales. And then when it becomes this kind of like side project, it's like it's like people treat their membership like like their side hustle within their business. Like, oh, this is just like some nice extra income I get. If you treat it like that, that's how it's gonna be perceived by your customers and they're not gonna be as excited about it. It needs to be treated like an offer that fucking matters. So I hope that's helpful. I'm obviously thinking about memberships a lot right now and you actually asked me this question as well. Is it fair to ask about your upcoming program about memberships? <laughs> Yes and no, it's fair. You can always ask me anything you want. Uh, short answer is I don't know exactly when we're going to be launching yet. I'm hoping end of this month or in October. My move has been really fucked up. Um, those of you who listen to the podcast will hear about this after this episode if you're on the podcast. Because uh, I got scammed by my movers. We're okay. Kind of. But um, it's been pretty stressful and I am kind of a little bit behind on work. Um, but our program is going to be for those of you that already have established businesses, because as I said, memberships are really not for folks who are brand new to business unless you have funding or you've got some real resources, because it's just it's such a numbers game that it's it's a bit of an uphill battle if you don't have a way to reach more people. Um, and it's going to be really for those of you that, again, you're either established and are starting a membership based off of your existing work or you already have a membership and it's about growing and scaling it. Yeah. Um, and all of the pieces that that takes. So selling it, but also keeping people in the program, the operations aspect of it, in addition to the sales and marketing aspect of it, because that's the stuff that I found we had to basically make from scratch for HBA. And I'm really proud of what we've done. And I'm really excited to help you guys kind of do that for yourself as well. And what, you know, using our stuff, of course, is like an idea and a template, but for you to really build these businesses so that your membership also can be something that you're not like, bound to in a negative way, right? Where you can like have freedom and have a membership. 
So that's all we've got today, y'all. Thank you so much for your questions. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you guys again. Again, I'm Sarah M. Chapel. This is Free Coaching Thursday. And I have to go eat lunch now, per usual. I did not eat before this. Um, I will see you all here same time next week. Bye for now.